Hi, I'm Chris Wigley, CEO of Genomics England. I've spent my career at the intersection of technology, ethics, and human stories. Now, I lead the amazing team here at Genomics England. We're trying to bring the benefits of genomic medicine to everyone, and that involves accelerating genomic research and also working with the NHS to bring genomics into the heart of healthcare. Genomics is a word that can trigger really strong responses, hope, fear, anger, and there's a lot of information out there, but it's not all accessible to non-experts. And there are some myths out there. So we want to talk more about this word, the G word, genomics. That's what this podcast is about. Welcome to the G word. Hello, and welcome to the final episode of the year. We launched the G word in January 2021 as part of our national conversation about genomics. We wanted to get more people familiar with genomics as a whole in as many ways as possible, whether that's in the context of its use in medicine, which we're obviously huge proponents of, transparent and ethical use of people's data, or innovation in the tech sector. We wanted to bring more human stories into this national conversation. Of course, one massive way that people have been thrown into the world of genomics is through COVID over this year and before. This has really shone a light on what genomics can contribute and how it affects everybody, not just those with rare disease and cancer. And we as the UK have played an incredibly important role in these efforts globally. Um, we've contributed the most to the, the sequencing of the, uh, the virus itself um, and also to the sequencing of um, the humans who have, uh, have had COVID really severely. So as part of our work there, I spoke to our partner in the genomic study, Dr. Kenny Bailey, in one of our first episodes, where we delve into the work that we're doing together in the national effort to combat COVID. In our discussion, Kenny explains just how important it is to engage patients and the public in research and how their insight is vital. Most clinicians, of course, see their patients uh, in outpatient clinics and, and very regularly, so they're in touch with them all the time. Um, if you're a scientist who doesn't directly interact with patients, I think there are two ways to do that. Probably the best is to work with a, a group of clinicians because, you know, sometimes those interactions have, have challenges. But I think uh, in most cases, they're based on mutual respect. And that's a great way to, to really develop an understanding of the clinical problems and to open a, a dialogue with patients. Uh, the other way to do it in the UK is um, through the National Institute for Healthcare Research. Um, or other professional societies, uh, like in, in intensive care medicine, the intensive care society, who provide uh, extraordinary, deep and thoughtful engagement with, with patients. This is a common thread amongst many of our conversations on the G word. And I've also had the pleasure of speaking to several of our participant panel members, Gillian, who's the chair, and Shelley, Charlie and Dave. They've all had different experiences as participants in the 100,000 Genomes Project, but ultimately, their messages drive home the fact that we need to continue to encourage and facilitate conversations between patients and participants and research communities, whether it's with academics, clinical scientists, charities or industry. At first, it's all a big whirlwind and you just can't process this big bombshell that you've been given. And somehow the life that you thought you had mapped out and what things were going to be like, suddenly it's not going to be like that at all. And that obviously is the first thing that you've got to get your head around. I think almost overnight you become a geneticist, you become a physiotherapist, you become a nurse, you become a dietitian, you become all of these things. You are the expert 
in this rare disease. You become the voice and the advocate, the one that fights for everything that your child or your loved one needs and try and learn as much as you can because knowledge really is to your power. Another passionate supporter of patient engagement in research is, of course, our own chair, Baroness Nicola Blackwood, who talks to us about diagnostic odysseys, something she herself is keenly aware of. Having had 30 years in her own life of not knowing what she was going through, Nicola talked about the importance of international collaboration for decreasing health inequalities, not just for the UK, but for as many people across the globe as possible. One of the problems we have in this country is that we have significant stigma for those who have disabilities or long-term illnesses. We don't have stigma against those who get sick with a, with a time limit on it and get better. But we have significant stigma for those who live with illness. And that has to end because those who live with illness, they're incredibly strong. They overcome huge amounts, but they also have a massive contribution to make. And they understand things about our country, which many, many others do not. One example of the power of genomics in medicine she mentioned was the potential for diagnosing rare disease early in newborn babies, a topic I also touched on with Dr. Robert Green, who leads the BabySeq project over in the US. With Robert, we talked about the possibility of moving quickly and innovatively, using the lessons learned from the UK's NHS when trying to bring genomic healthcare to the public in a country like the USA. The real thing that's changed the equation is the pipeline of gene-targeted therapies for individual rare diseases that is coming online throughout the world. And pharma and the community of early interveners is realizing that some of these conditions can prevent the deterioration of the baby, but only if you treat them early. So suddenly we have a we have a wild card in here that's changing the risk-benefit equation for all babies in order to detect these rare cases that can be saved with bone marrow transplantation or gene-targeted therapy or another, another treatment. Dr. Eric Topol, who was the first person we interviewed for the G-Word, also discusses the differences in approaches across the pond. And what I'm hearing again and again in all of my conversations is the need to communicate and build trust with patients and the public and at a peer-to-peer level as well. To quote Eric, It's their data, not ours. It's their data. And this brings me nicely round to my chat with Dr. Natalie Banner, when we talked about engaging people transparently about their data while not making it dull. It's clearly critical to drive conversations on data around why it matters and how it impacts people, while also accepting that there will be those who have different opinions and that this is a good thing. Thinking more about the the human, the culture, the, 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 the social aspects of how we use data, I think, is going to give us far more of a positive outlook than if we just focus on the kind of technical, can we tick that box? Another researcher who I spoke to was the wonderful Professor Ting Wu, who's working on these incredibly beautiful visualizations of the genome using really cutting edge technology. And on the theme of uh, engagement with patients, she put it really nicely in our conversation. The questions we get when we talk with people is, where is this going? Where did this come from? Can this help my child? If we do help my child, how is life going to change for my child? Do I have input? Is there enough acceptability in our community to have a diversity of opinions uh, to allow us all to live the life the way we want to live it? And those I think those are the big issues. We need to hear 
from all communities so scientists can properly design their experiments and, and, and invent to help. One of my other guests was Jo Taylor, who was an incredibly inspirational lady who has founded not one but two charities along the way with her own journey with cancer. So she was talking about patient engagement from a different perspective um, for cancer rather than rare disease, but agreed absolutely with the point about engagement. Information is power, and we need to empower patients to be able to make decisions and even challenge them. I do think that we need to have these open and honest conversations with patients, because otherwise, where is the duty of care? Where is the, you know, we're, we're failing patients otherwise by not being honest with them and saying, well, yes, you are no evidence of disease at the moment. You know, we believe that we've done everything that we can to make sure that the cancer doesn't come back. But unfortunately, you know, there are around about 30% of people who will develop secondary breast cancer and we don't know who those people will be. So you've got to be completely aware of, you know, what those red flag symptoms are so that you empowered yourself to understand when you need to, um, you know, go and talk to somebody about this. And on this theme of bridging the gap between patients and healthcare professionals, Professor Christine Patch and I also talked about giving people transparent, accurate information and enabling them to make not just choices about their and their family's health, but informed choices about their own health. There should never be any surprises. And this starts with the healthcare professionals and organisations like us, where we look after their data. In terms of the research choice, people are concerned. They, we know what worries people. It is about insurance companies accessing data. It is about marketing. It is about unfair dis- using the data to unfairly discriminate. Um, it is about security services. It is about police. And we can't just say, you know, those are legitimate concerns. And different communities, different individuals, because of their lived experience, will have different viewpoints on that. And we have to accept that those are valid. So it's not about persuasion or coercion. It's about a conversation and understanding where people are coming from. To be able to support healthcare professionals in their patient conversations through their decision making and their health journeys, we have to start right at the beginning. And Dr. Michelle Bishop told us about engaging with the NHS workforce and um, providing different kinds of education, learning, uh, training opportunities. To have the best genomic conversations with people, Michelle explained that we need to equip clinical staff with the right tools to move past the barrier of genomics as being this additional thing to learn, hoping that eventually it will be embedded as part of general health education. Our remit really is to ensure that everyone who is involved in genomics has the right knowledge and skills and and, um, capabilities really to be able to perform their role in delivering the genomic medicine service. So that could be anyone from who is, you know, consenting someone to have a test or discussing about testing or the really important healthcare scientists who are involved in actually doing the tests by informaticians, genetic counsellors, the clinical geneticists, but also anyone who works in mainstream, but anyone who could touch along that clinical pathway. And to go back to Eric Topol, he had an innovative idea about how we can build genomics into the mainstream of medical education. I think, and I've written, that every, every student should sequence themselves and learn about bioinformatics, learn about their genome, and if there's some reason they don't want to sequence themselves, sequence somebody. But that's how it should be taught. Having worked in the NHS for 33 years, 
John James, who's the CEO of the Sickle Cell Society, knows well the difficulties of pushing change through such a behemoth organisation and how we need to nurture our future staff in the NHS. Well, I think role models is a very important thing, and uh, that that's certainly one aspect of encouraging the uh, young people to have a career in the NHS. The other interesting thing is that the NHS uniquely has a range of potential careers. So it's not just management. Uh, there's medicine, there's nursing, there's professions allied to medicine. So there's a whole range of careers. And I think we don't do enough to encourage across that broad spectrum. And talking about young scientists and researchers, Dr. Adam Rutherford, who's arguably the pop science face of genetics in the UK, agrees that their voices should be heard. I get a lot of PhD students and young researchers who want to do this and they want to devote a proportion of their their scientific life to talk about the the science they're doing. Now, I, I think that that is an incredibly important thing to do. Science not shared is not worth doing. And sticking with the theme of the youth of today, Matt Clifford, who's the chief exec of Entrepreneur First, discussed with me getting young people in the UK interested in innovative emerging tech areas like genomics and how it's about taking chances and connecting with the right people. One of our venture partners is um, a guy that some of your uh, listeners might have heard of, a guy called Benedict Evans. You know, he has this analogy of like, what can machine learning do? You know, it's like having being able to have a million interns. Um, it's, it's not that they can do everything that your core business needs to be able to do, but there are some things they can do very well. And if you can have a million of them, then there are things you can achieve with that um, that would be almost impossible to achieve with, with human scale, um, human normal numbers of, uh, of people. On that. I had the pleasure of speaking to Holly Ellis, who also goes by the name of the Scouse Scientist. And she is all about breaking stereotypes and encouraging young people in taking that step into STEM, which is, of course, science, technology, engineering and maths. The more we can encourage younger generations from across a broad spectrum of backgrounds into STEM careers, the more likely it is that we'll have people interested in ensuring diversity is embedded into the field of genomics. I wanted to really provide a role model for young women in STEM because I feel like there's not a lot of, you know, representation from sort of working class young women in science. So I wanted to young people to sort of look at me and see, you know, I'm from a sort of working class background. I've got a strong Scouse accent, which, you know, I'm, I'm not prepared to change and I don't think I should. And I want them to sort of look at me and think, well, if she's a scientist, then, then I can be it too. And it would be crazy to talk about diversity in genomics without mentioning our own diverse data uh, programme. And the programme lead, Dr. Maxine McIntosh, discussed with Primrose Granville the need to change the narrative, including the very language that we use to be able to open up the conversation about healthcare. Another part of language that we have to think about for some communities is how certain words evoke memories, both personal and historical. So words like research, those words don't bring good memories. They don't bring good um, understanding, to, especially people of African heritage. We don't have to go very far to think about this stuff. The overrepresentation in mental health um, institutions, the overrepresentation in in people who live with mental health issues, but they're in jail, the overrepresentation of people from African heritage communities in the, in the medical disparities that still reign today. 
a four-year-old who's told not to touch a hot cooker and touches that hot cooker will never touch it again because research has shown that four-year-old that a hot cooker will burn and it will always burn. That is research. Another key conversation in a similar area that we had on the G-Word with, with Dr. Mavis Machurori. Using her experience to understand what data can tell us, she spoke to our chief medical officer, Dr. Richard Scott, about inequalities in healthcare and how we might be able to combat those. And though it's important, it's not just about ancestry and ethnicity. Mavis explained the digital divide. If people don't have access to smartphones and they don't have the internet, how are they going to then access video consults with the GP? If access to the GP also means you can only do your online appointment system and you can't access the internet, then you can't get an appointment online. And my chat with Professor Helen Stokes-Lampard, who is the chair of the Association of Medical Royal Colleges, continues down this vein as we talk about the social determinants of health. When you come into the health system, we need to retain all those factors about a person through somebody's journey. So if we forget about where people live or how they live or all those factors that have already impacted on them, we are only addressing one part of the individual's life. Over the course of the year, I heard time and time again that we need to view people as individuals and view them holistically take into account their reality and hear their authentic voices so that we can make sure that we're getting the right sort of help in the right sort of way to the right sort of people. This is so important for us at Genomics England and it's something we think about every day. All in all, I think we've had a fantastic year of conversations with an incredible cast of people. We've learned so much from each of them. What our discussions show is that we're hopefully on the right track, but that we have plenty more to do in 2022 and beyond. Thank you so much for listening, for joining our conversations, and we hope to see you again for the G Word next year. Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks for listening to this discussion about the G Word and for joining us on this journey to highlight and debate the implications of genomics as it comes to the mainstream of healthcare and society. Remember to subscribe to the G Word on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you have views on these topics, if you have a suggestion for someone we should interview, then do write to us at podcast at genomicsengland.co.uk. And do remember, if you've enjoyed listening, that giving us a five-star review really helps other people find out about the series. I'd appreciate it very much. See you on the next episode of The G Word.